You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. That's sort of an odd thing. I'm really not a very violent person. Um, I saw Pulp Fiction and passed out cold on the floor. And <laughs> I, I, I can't, you know, I don't have a, a blood tolerance. And yet when I'm writing, it seems to be something entirely different. Mystery writer Janet Ivanovich today on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Over the last three decades, millions of readers worldwide have enjoyed a series of novels about a fictional amateur bounty hunter from New Jersey named Stephanie Plum. Stephanie Plum is, of course, a character created by writer Janet Ivanovich. Now, back in the 1980s, Ivanovich was a stay-at-home mom. But as her kids began to come of the age where they would soon be leaving for college, she decided to try something new, like writing. Well, at first, she wrote romance novels. And actually got very good at it and was very successful at a romance career. But after a few years, she realized that what she liked best about writing was the action sequences in her books oh, and the humor. So in 1994, she wrote her first mystery, a book about Stephanie Plum called One for the Money. And it became an almost instant hit and has spawned now an entire series. There are 30 books now in the Stephanie Plum series, and she's still going strong. And here's where it all started. So here's my 1994 conversation with the just-published mystery writer Janet Ivanovich. There's some of me and Stephanie. You know, I like to think that all the brave and wonderful parts are me, and then, you know, those other parts, we, we, we're not sure where they came from. Are you good with a gun? I'm getting better. I, <laughs> I had never handled a gun before, and when um, when I decided to do this series, I thought that I should learn how to shoot, or at least you know have a smattering of knowledge about it. Because my, I'm not a gun person. My orientation to guns is you know that guns killed Bambi's mother. That's that's <laughs> sort of where I come from. So, but I did go out and I went to a gun shop and got some information on the sort of gun that I thought Stephanie would carry, uh, because she didn't know anything about guns either, and she would need a little gun. You know, she would want something she could put in her purse. And then I went out to the rifle range and took some shooting lessons, learned how to shoot, never really overcame my fear of, you know, blasting the toes off my foot, but <laughs> but I spent some time at it. You never accidentally shot a, por a portion of your dinner off the plate. Uh. Yeah, no, I never did that. Never <laughs> never shot the chicken in the gumpy. <laughs> <laughs> Give us just a thumbnail sketch, if you would, of where the plot takes us. It's set in Trenton, New Jersey, and I'm a, a New Jersey person, so I feel real comfortable with this. Stephanie Plum is 30. She's divorced. She has a lot of brown hair. She's um, not bad looking. She's an attractive woman. And she's kind of down on her luck. She's the first in her family to be a college graduate, uh, blue collar family, blue collar neighborhood. She um, has a job as a lingerie buyer. You know, we're not talking classy lingerie. You know, she's, she's done what she had to to, you know, keep herself in money and, you know, have her own little apartment. Uh, and she's lost her job, and she's uh, she's really at the bottom of the barrel. She's had her car repossessed. She's been selling off her furniture. She can't find another job. And finally she goes and she puts um, the bite on her cousin Vinny, who was a bail bondsman, for a job. And Vinny gives her, uh, very reluctantly, gives her a job as a bounty hunter. And so this starts Stephanie's career as... The big, bad bounty hunter. 
I gather that you, it, it, it reads as though you kind of learned along the way, as Stephanie was learning along the way, what it really entails to be a bounty hunter. That's true, and I did go out and, and work with some bounty hunters. I spent time with the Trenton police, and I looked up some bounty hunters, and our fugitive apprehenders, as they like to be called, and uh, got some idea of the sort of things that they do, and, uh, you know, tried to be as true to the profession as I could. Now, I, you know, this is fiction, and there's a lot of humor in it, and Stephanie, I tried to put Stephanie, um, make this realistic, there are a lot of private investigator books with female heroines out there, and I didn't think I could compete with this because they're doing a real good job all by themselves. So what I wanted to do was get someone who didn't have a clue. My heroine is starting from the ground up. She just, you know, she doesn't know what she's doing. She's learning her job just as I'm learning the job. And so this sort of sets it apart a little bit. Yeah, she's kind of endearing in that way, that, that we're not quite sure if she's going to shoot her foot off next. Yeah, she, ha she has her problems. Or wind up handcuffed naked to the shower rack. That's right, or hitting the bad guy over the head with her pocketbook instead of taking out her gun and shooting him. <laughs> these are such 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 well-rounded characters. These are very carefully drawn characters. Does this come from your background in, in, in writing other kinds of books? Well, I started out writing romance novels, and I'm not sure that the characters came from the romance novels, but certainly I had time to learn a lot of writing skills and to establish my voice as an author I had a lot of humor in my romance novels and there's a lot of humor in this and there's this is a very fast paced book because I think of myself as an entertainer rather than as a writer I want people to enjoy this um, this is a this is a fast read you can go through this book in maybe two to four hours if you're if you really stick with it it's it's a television substitute in some ways I've often wondered now, does that, does that in any way kind of irritate you that you've spent months getting every word just right and shaping those paragraphs and getting that pacing and the word, polishing, honing, carefully kneading to it just, just light like you would tend to a fine garden. And here we come on, breeze through it in four hours and we're done. We say, all right, let's give me the next one. No, that doesn't bother me, but, but I do get annoyed when I spend two hours making an apple pie and my husband and son finish it off in ten minutes. That's, <laughs> yes, I, I, for some reason, it, you know, it doesn't carry over. But Yes, that, that, that's, that, I, that's where I've been thinking of because I, I cook for, our, for my family, too, and you, you, you lovingly craft this thing. Maybe it's only two hours in a case of a pie or a lasagna or something, but boom, it's gone. They want to know when's the next one. Well, my gosh, you, know, you spend months of your life agonizing over this, missing family picnics and missing... NYPD blue and and all these other things that you sacrifice and you know one weekend we've shot it and, and we're waiting for the next one well as long as you're waiting for the next one that's what really counts <laughs> that's right I did wonder also something else Stephanie Plum is such a a, a melodious name you do, do you choose names for your characters purposefully yeah I think names are very important I think that they have to be memorable and they have to sort of you know fall off your tongue and they have to suit the characters. So I spend a lot of time thinking about names. And because I'm writing this from New Jersey and from Trenton, New Jersey, and from my own background, there are a lot of ethnic names. You know, it's a kind of a Polish, Hungarian, Italian thing. You, do you have to be politically correct? I mean, you know, Italians are such an easy target for for the stereotype or. Did you give that some thought? No, I'm never politically correct. <laughs> I haven't been politically correct for my entire life, and I think it's too late to start now. <laughs> After this short break, who was Janet Ivanovich before her writing success?
There are now two new ways to listen to Now I've Heard Everything. Full episodes are now on YouTube. Just search for Now I've Heard Everything. And if you're on TikTok, watch for the promos we post about new episodes. Tap the link at the bottom of the video to hear the full episode. Now back to my 1994 conversation with Janet Ivanovich. When Stephanie's in danger, do you feel your adrenaline rushing to, as well? No, and that's that's sort of an odd thing. I'm really not a very violent person. Um, I saw Pulp Fiction and passed out cold on the floor. And <laughs> I, I, I can't, you know, I don't have a, a blood tolerance. And yet when I'm writing, it seems to be something entirely different. And, and there's a, a scene in here which actually, you know, kind of grabs the reader. It was at a point where I felt like I had to raise the stakes. And um, and possibly if I was reading this and it was someone else's book, I I might you know be upset about it. But for some reason, when I'm writing it, no, it's a different thing. You're you're more involved in. There's another process going on. Are you worried at that point about uh, uh, periods and semicolons and and grammar as opposed to the the actual thinking? My gosh, she's in danger. She could get killed. Yeah, no, I have an editor who worries about <laughs> periods, semicolons, and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm worrying about things like you know mechanical things like pacing and, and and the the reader's level of enjoyment and just you know propelling the story forward in a very logical fashion so that you don't so that you maintain your credibility and you still are entertaining. How do you do, how do you decide who is to be in Stephanie's life? I mean, she is you know no person is an island. Everyone's in Stephanie's life, and that, <laughs> that's sort of what sets her apart from a lot of the the hard-boiled um, detectives today. Stephanie has a family that really is is pulling at her. I, every and you know everyone really is in Stephanie's life, including the guy that she's out to get. There's some history there between the two of them, and. And she keeps running into him and um, and is never able to, you know, actually snag him and drag him back. Uh, she has a grandmother who's a few cans short of a case and, and who I absolutely love, you know, because she's she's fun. I mean, it isn't it isn't that she's an unpleasant character, but she just she has, you know, her own life. And at her age, she's not going to let anybody tell her what to do. And she has a mother, you know, who's trying to uh, regulate her life by six o'clock pot roast. Uh, I can relate to this. My, uh, it took me 40-some years before I found out, you know, what the really determining factor was in my life, and it was pot roast at 6 o'clock. So, so she has all of these things, you know, and, and I think that they're, they're normal. I think that this is, this is a very average sort of person. This is the girl next door if you happen to live in New Jersey. Are you a, uh, a weakling for uh, pineapple upside-down cake as yes, well? Yes, yes. I've never met a dessert I didn't like. <laughs> Now I did uh, now a practical question. Now not that I'm not looking forward to the I'm looking forward to many more Stephanie Plum novels, but for the for the upcoming writer who who wants to get started and break into the business, do you pretty much have to come up with a series to to be to be a success? No, not at all. I I turned to a series just because I thought it would be fun and I had this idea and I wanted to have some continuity with my characters. I started out as a romance writer, and I did 12 romance novels, and they were all single title and sent my son to Dartmouth <laughs> on them. <laughs> so I was I was pretty successful, and I think it's just a matter of taste and where um, where your talents lie. Some I think that writing is just a wonderful profession, and either way, you know, works out. It's It's just a matter of what you feel comfortable with. 
When did you first know you could write well enough to sell? When I sold. <laughs> this was uh, 1987. My first book came out in 1987. Wow. Well, what did you do before that? Well, I have... Uh, I have a bachelor's degree from Douglas College in fine arts. I was a painter and, um, oh. and you know, sort of hacked at that for a couple years. And then I got married and then I was mom and really liked being mom. I, um, I was, I, I really enjoyed that and stayed home, was a stay at home mom. And then when the kids got to a certain point, you know, instead of chocolate chip cookies, they, they would rather have money to go off to the movies. And so I decided it was, you know, time for a career. And college was looming, you know, in their future. So I searched around for something that I could do at home, something that I could still keep my finger on my kids and wouldn't have to wear pantyhose because I you know, couldn't see myself <laughs> doing the pantyhose office thing. And, and that was when I started writing. And I think it took me maybe two or three years. I had a couple manuscripts that are still sitting, you know, in my lingerie drawer that never made it. And it wasn't until I turned to the little category romance books that I had real success. Wow. What, what, what a success story you've, you had then. That's just for, for just being first published in 87, and now you've got a book that uh, is, I, I'm assuming, is, is or is going to, about to be on the bestseller list, is uh, apparently about to be a movie. Uh, you joined the big leagues. Yeah, I've been really lucky. I feel like I hit the lottery on this one. This is this has really been fun. Well, when when it comes time to write the end on a book like this and tie the string around, finally send it off to the publisher, do you feel like you've said goodbye to a bunch of good friends? Well, not in this case because these good friends hang around, you know, and, <laughs> and I give myself a day off and then I get up and I start, you know, the next book in the series. So it's it's never really goodbye. You couldn't kill off one of them, could you? No. I mean, not one of the people you like, anyway. Well, yeah, I kill off, you know, a few people that we would, we really don't care about. But the main characters will always stay with the series, and they will return for book number three and book number two and book number seven. And I, I think that what I'm going to do is feature each of the minor characters um, in, in different books so that I can flesh them out a little bit and have some fun with them. But all of the all of the same characters will come back. Joe Morelli, you know, the rogue, he will be back. And Grandma Mazer, she'll be back shooting up more turkeys. And <laughs> <laughs> That's right, maybe the bow and arrow next time. Yeah, well, you know, one never knows. <laughs> Janet Ivanovich celebrated her 80th birthday in April. The 30th book in the Stephanie Plum series was published earlier this year. Now, you can get a copy of the one that started it all, One for the Money, by Janet Ivanovich, by clicking on the link in our show notes, or by going to our website, HeardEverything.com. Now, we may earn an Amazon commission if you make a purchase. And HeardEverything.com is where you'll also hear my 1991 interview with the author of another very popular series of books about a central character, in this case, medical examiner Dr. K. Scarpetta, my 1991 conversation with Patricia Cornwell. All of my plots are rooted usually in the commonplace and randomness. And that, of course, is what's so frightening because we'd rather think it's a, a Dean Koontz or Stephen King type monster out there who's very clever and supernatural. Uh, somehow that would make us feel a little more immune if we knew it wasn't as commonplace as the person who pumps gas for you. And my 1992 interview with the queen of the mystery writers, Mary Higgins Clark. I think a suspense book should be like being on the roller coaster. You know you're going to get scared. You're paying to get scared. You got, watch that thing chug up and you see that deep, deep drop and you hang on and yell. And then you break and you're into the station. And you had a great time. 
And of course, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on every major podcast platform, including now YouTube. And thank you so much for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, don't have to tell you that September 11th was a day that shook America to its core, the violence and carnage of that day. And it was all captured in an oral history published a year later by a New York Times correspondent who covered the whole thing. So we'll revisit my 2002 interview with Dean Murphy. And for a really representative, accurate portrayal of September 11th, it has to have the detail. I mean, I had to ask one man when he was describing this carnage in the plaza at the World Trade Center, like what was in the pool of blood? He said body parts. That was not easy to ask, and that was not easy for him to tell me. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson.